Hi, I'm Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh. In over 20 years of practicing both Western medicine and Eastern healing traditions, the most important thing that I've learned is that healing is a journey we take together. So on this podcast, I'll be demystifying Ayurveda and other integrated medicine, showing how these simple ancient practices are the keys to unlocking a healthy modern life. We are all healing catalysts because healing starts within. It starts with you and it starts right now. This is a Soulfire production. Episode number 111. Well, hello, my beautiful friends. It's your friend Avanti. Welcome back to the Healing Catalyst podcast. Okay, so here we are heading into the last two weeks of the year, and I have my head down wrapping up all kinds of projects while also planning a lot of things for next year. As many of you know, I turned in my manuscript for my second book a few weeks ago. And so next year will be filled with everything for the book from editing to publishing to promotion. It's going to be an exciting year, but it's also really daunting to think about this. And for this podcast, my team and I have so many amazing things planned for you. The topics, the guests, I'm so, so excited about it. In fact, I've already recorded most of the episodes for January. So make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast because you definitely do not want to miss anything in January. And if you haven't already done so, I would so appreciate it if you would leave a five-star review of the podcast with just a few words about how the podcast has helped you. You know, your reviews are the most important thing that helps this podcast continue to grow and reach more people. So please help me with my mission of reaching more people who need this information. You know, I have a really big goal of expanding the reach of this podcast to double the number of listeners by the end of June of 2024. And I know that with your help, I can get there. This podcast has grown the way it has organically because of your support. When you listen every week and share it with your friends and family and post about it on Instagram and leave reviews, that's how this podcast grows and will continue to grow. So with that in mind, I'd also love for you to post a screenshot of your favorite episode from this year and tag me so that I can repost it and so that more people can learn about the podcast. And actually, I have an idea. If you leave a review or post your favorite episode on Instagram, I'll put you into a drawing to be featured on my podcast, either to be interviewed by me or for you to come on and ask me some questions. I think it would really be so much fun. So here's what you need to do. Either number one, leave a review and take a screenshot and DM it to me on Instagram Or number two, post about the show on Instagram, your favorite episode, and tag me. If you do either of those things, I'll enter you into the drawing to be featured on my podcast. This is going to be really fun. So I hope that you'll participate. Okay, so let's get back to today's episode as we round out our exploration of work and our health. Today, I'm joined by my guest, Madeline Reeves. Madeline is the founder and CEO of Fearless Foundry, a creative consultancy that supports ambitious founders from seed to scale through go-to market strategy, content marketing, and design work. 
She has spent her career serving as a business development leader working for technology companies, ranging from small startups to large publicly traded companies. She launched Fearless Foundry in 2018 to help innovative leaders boost their branding and internal strategies to build better businesses and work with clients that they love. In addition to her roles as CEO and founder, Madeline is a coach for ambitious entrepreneurs and also hosts the Finding Fearless and Creative Fiction podcasts. In our conversation, Madeline and I discuss the myth of hustle culture and the idea of the girl boss, which were both created by the patriarchy. Madeline also shares her view of human-centric business, not only as it applies to leadership, but also how it applies to strategy and marketing. We dive into the importance of leading with empathy, and Madeline also shares her tips for aligning your work with your values. Madeline is actually my coach, and she and her team have been absolutely instrumental in supporting me this past year when I had to take a step back from my work and business. And she's also become a dear friend of mine. I have found that her insight is so powerful and her advice is so incredibly helpful. And because of this, I knew I had to share her brilliance with all of you. I am so thrilled to share my conversation with my strategist and coach and my friend, Madeline Reeves, about human-centric business and challenging the myths of entrepreneurship as we explore work and our health. Hi, Maddie. How are you? I'm so excited to be here with you today. I have been waiting for this moment for months. I'm so happy to be here. I know we've been trying to coordinate this and between all of my treatment and your travel and your work, it's been hard to schedule this, but I'm so glad that we are finally going to be able to do this for the podcast and talk about your really unique perspective, I think, and I'm probably biased because I work <laughs> with you too, your very unique perspective on work and entrepreneurship. And so I am super excited. This episode is going to be going live in December when we're talking about the intention of work and our health. And there's so many layers to this topic that I know we'll go into. But, you know, one of the things that I've been really interested in, because I follow you, I get your newsletter, I'm in your community. You've been writing a lot in the past few months about this idea of human-centric business. And it's really piqued my interest. It, it sort of it speaks to me at a really deep level because I feel like that's so much a part of the work that I do in healing and wellness and integrative medicine. And so I would really love to understand from your perspective, you know, what is human centric business from your perspective? It's such a great question. And I, I have to start by saying it's definitely something that, you know, I have been unpacking and thinking about. And, and one of the reasons I love writing so much is it gives me this opportunity to really take a concept and kind of like chew on it for a while and really think, think about it out loud, so to speak, and, and conversate about it with my audience. But I think for me, you know, my curiosity around this concept came from the fact that for many, many years, I worked in an industry that felt very inhumane, in my opinion. I worked in the world of technology for the better part of a decade. and especially during the time that I was growing up in that industry, it was just push yourself as hard as possible, work as many hours as possible. You know, if you're not putting in 80, you might as well not even be here. Um, don't have kids, or if you do pretend you don't, 
you know, if you're a woman, act like a man and just basically leave your entire identity at the door and become, you know, representative of the company that you worked for. I joked for many years that I was like this brand Barbie that every company I switched to in tech, I was just a different person and I was so far from myself. And when I started my entrepreneurial journey, one of the first things I was able to do is start to really get in touch with my own identity. I am somebody who's deeply, deeply creative, but never felt like I could identify that way in the technology industry because it's so about a very, you know, linear, analytical, you know, technological, masculine paradigm. You know, I also am somebody who is as a creative covered in tattoos. And, you know, I like to color my hair different colors and I never could show those things inside of my my tech work. And so I was always in a blazer. I always hid who I was. And as I started to kind of peel back the layers, I remember distinctly these moments where the more I showed up as a human, the more intimate and meaningful the connections I started to make were. So for example, I remember the first time I attended an industry conference not as a brand ambassador for somebody else's company, but simply as myself. And I didn't wear a blazer and I let my tattoos show for the first time. And I, I was so on edge and I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to think? Are they going to kick me out of here? And this woman walked up to me. She must've been in you know, her late sixties and she, she was, had this real sweet motherly energy. And she was like, do they hurt? And I was like, excuse me? And she was like, the tattoos, I've been wanting to get one. Like, did they hurt? And I was like, she was the last woman that I would have thought would have been like, oh, I've been thinking about getting a tattoo. But we started this beautiful conversation and she told me about her son and how he was in the Navy and he had started to get tattoos and she wanted to get one with him. And it just like peeled back this layer of humanity that started to get my brain going of what is it possible if we are able to show up as who we are in the way that we work in the world? And so I feel like my entrepreneurial journey has just been a further unveiling of that. And each time I uncover the next chapter of who I'm becoming in business and share that with people, I'm embraced in such a beautiful way. And then we work together at such a deeper level. Like I think about my work with you, Avanti, and it's like, because you and I know who we are at the core, because we know what we value, because we know what we're passionate about, you know, because we know about things beyond just like, this is your business and this is my business. The work we do is so much deeper. The work we do is so much better. And so to me, human-centric business is really about figuring out like the right, kind, warm, you know, well-boundaried ways to show up in business as ourselves so that we can do better work in the world. Yeah, no, I think that's beautiful. And, you know, as you were speaking about your experience in tech, it brought me back to my experience and my training in medicine, right? And sort of so many of the things you were describing are so many of the feelings that I had going into the hospital every day and being a woman, a woman of color in medicine 25, 30 years ago, right? In my training, when that was not the norm. I mean, you know, there were a lot of us who were there, but there weren't a lot of us also. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Many more women and women of color are in medicine now and in the health professions. But, you know, I always felt like I had to leave part of myself at the door, partially to fit in, to be able to measure up, but then also I think partially to protect myself, right? In that environment to sort of like harden my heart. So for me, and it's so interesting because I'm in a health profession in which you want to be human. Like that's the whole point of it, I think. 
but I guess that's the whole point of all business and all work, right? Is to show up as yourself. So it's just, it's taking me back to my experience in, in medicine. And I do think that probably very intuitively when I made the decision to sort of go into the world of education, into integrative medicine, Ayurveda, it was sort of this understanding that I was going to do things differently in every respect. But I will tell you, I think it still has taken me time. And like you said, every I'm always like peeling back the layers of the onion of how much I show up as myself. And I definitely think that I have become even more human centric in the way that I'm showing up in my quote business, in my work, in my writing, on this podcast, on social, all of those things uh, because of what I've gone through this year, but also because I kind of am at the point where I'm like, yeah, this is who I am and this is the work I do and this is how I'm going to show up. And it's been painful and hard and really stressful and sort of like gut-wrenching because you're like, I've been nervous about it. But at the same time, it's been the most liberating feeling. And like you said, I have gotten so much back from other people because of that. So it's really been a really interesting transition, I guess, over and over again, maybe. I don't know. And yeah, go ahead, please. Oh, I w- yeah. I just, I'm so excited for you for this next chapter of, of showing up even more as yourself. And I think that the world really needs this right now. I think that, especially in the context of social media, we live in a world where there's a lot of fiction and and people can sense that. People can smell it out. They can feel it. And and especially in the world of wellness, you know, I don't think that people want to see perfection. I don't think that people want to see, you know, oh, just buy these three things and you'll, you know, you'll be as thin as me or you'll have hair like me or you'll have this like me. You know, they want human because because we're human we're all human and and i i think that you know that that your your connection to your audience is only going to deepen the more you show up in these ways yeah i would agree i think that that's you know that's that's actually something we will click into a, a little more about how it actually affects your business when you show up more as yourself but so what then motivated you to sort of restructure cuz you've completely restructured your entire business over the past few months I mean, I guess this has been going on for a while, but really intensely in the past few months as I've been observing, and I've been a little bit on the inside of like hearing about it from you, that, you know, what really motivated you to sort of restructure a fearless founder, your business with a focus on this human centric sort of idea? So it's, it ties back to some really severe struggle that, you know, I lived through and, you know, didn't externalize at the time because I would say if you watch the first few years of my company, you know, I was, I was, you know, quote unquote, crushing it. But if you knew me privately, personally, you would know that it was crushing me. Um, I, again, had, had been an internal operator of a lot of really fast scaling startup companies. And so I'm very good at growing companies quite quickly. And my company grew 300% year over year for three years running, which is insane. It's you know, insane. typical growth in my space. Yeah, it's it's a lot. And and in kind of the world of consulting and marketing, like typical great growth is like 20 to 30%. And so we were growing at a rate that was 10 times that. And it was 
harming me. It was harming me in such a deep way. My mental health after that like third year of the 300% growth was so bad. I was so anxious all the time. I was struggling with suicidality. I was just over overwhelmed with the pressure of both, you know, I am somebody who really prides myself in excellent work and I want to deliver something that makes everybody happy. But when you're growing a company that quickly, things are going to fall through the cracks. People are not going to do, you know, what you expect of them. You know, management is not going to be where it needs to be. And ultimately, the bigger my company got, the further I really got from my core work to like my highest work, you know, that I really see as essential to who I am is, you know, you know, I love brand strategy work and really helping, you know, founders like kind of crack open their hearts and pull that out and, you know, build that narrative around their business. And, you know, I wasn't really doing that anymore because I was just managing this team. And, you know, I I deeply, deeply love coaching founders and I love working both in group settings and one-to-one to really like help them navigate those really critical journeys as they scale their companies. And again, I didn't have any capacity to do that because all my coaching energy was going into the young people that worked for me. And, and you know, that kind of like agency style model, which is what I had grown, works for some people really well. But what I found was it was deeply, deeply misaligned with my values. The agency ecosystem, the agency world quite predominantly is led, you know, by a founder who's kind of at the top and then is hiring as cheap of a talent as possible to make maximum margins. And they take home kind of a big fat paycheck. And and quite commonly, if the talent that they have is here in the US, it's women that they're paying, you know, minimum, minimum wage. And, you know, it's all of these creative women who want to work and want to have flexibility and freedom and still be able to exercise their talents. And and the other model that's becoming increasingly popular is outsourcing that labor to foreign markets and paying people like a dollar an hour. And so I could feel I could feel how my business was becoming this race to the bottom because clients were showing up and saying, well, this agency will do it for this much money. And I was like, I'm not an agency. I've never identified with the notion of an agency. I, you know, never wanted to be an agency. And it it just kind of felt like my business had been pulled in that direction because of the way that it had scaled. And so all of those factors were kind of this pressure cooker that forced me to say, like, this model really isn't working. And the kind of final straw was that because of my history in the technology space, we had about 50% of our revenue was technology companies. And at the start of 2022, I lost 50% of my revenue overnight because those tech companies prior to laying off their teams laid off companies like mine. And so when you have a giant team and you have no money to pay them, you suddenly have to like take a really hard look at what's working. And so over the course of the last 18 months, I have dramatically restructured my company and it started with saying, okay, I know this model does not align with my values. What does? And the heart of who I am as a human is, again, a creative, is somebody who deeply loves collaborating, who has a strong commitment to doing excellent work, who wants to really be able to like hold each client with care. Like, I don't want to run a business that has 100 clients I don't even know. I would much rather have a business that has like 10 to 20 clients who I love and I'm like dear friends with. And so I use these kind of like intuitive nuggets to rebuild 
what we have now, which is the Fearless Foundry Collective model. And so rather than having this giant staff that, you know, is always wanting and needing more from me, I lead as a brand strategist and pull in clients and projects. And then when those projects arise, I look around at a team of core collaborators I have that are all talented, diverse, super expert consultants in their field. And I pull together the right team for the project, which is also so much better for the client. Like, for example, like we just got a new client who is, you know, a female founded woman of color cannabis brand. And I was like, the only designer I'm going to hire for this project is a woman of color who is also a single mom like this founder who is also passionate about the cannabis space. And I'm able, because I don't have a designer on staff anymore and I just have to use that one person, I'm able to pull in the right people for projects. And so the experience for our clients is so much better and the work we're doing so much better. And most importantly for me as a founder, my mental health and my well-being is so much better. And what I recognized was like the business that I had been building where everybody needed something from me, like it was going to, it was going to take all the way until I was gone, like wouldn't have been able to survive it versus going inwards and saying, who am I as a human? What do I need? Because ultimately, if this business is an extension of me, like I need to exist and I need to be well in order for this thing to keep running. And so it was that really deep, kind of like painful dark night of the soul that made me get in touch with like, what do I need as a human to be well? That then really, you know, the metaphor that's coming to me is, is like the lotus flower. Like I was like in the muck um, mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of dredged up from that to rebloom into something really beautiful. Wow. I got to take a breath. That's incredible. And thank you for being so honest about that and, and sharing so much of like the reality of what was going on, because I think it's very easy for a lot of entrepreneurs to just say, yeah, it wasn't working. I wasn't doing well. And then they leave it at that. But you really shared so much more about really what, really what was going on. And and it was a lot, you know? So thank you for sharing that so openly and honestly. What I'm thinking about as you're saying all this is it's this idea of a human-centric model of business is not only about us showing up as founders, as business owners, as entrepreneurs, as physicians, whatever it is that we are, health professionals. It's not just us showing up more of us and aligning to our values, but I think it's also what I'm hearing in how you've sort of restructured Fearless Foundry into a collective is also tapping into the humanness of the people who are working with you, right? Not just even your clients. Yes, you're looking for clients and you're going to connect to them, but it's let's the, the piece that I'm really hearing right now is about the people who are working for you, with you, however you want to define that, that you're looking at them as humans, as full human beings and saying, what are they bringing to the table that is beyond even their talents and skills, because I think that's sort of a given. You're always looking for talented and skilled people who are going to be working with you and for you. But their their values and how does that align then to a client that you're servicing? That's really what I heard is like there's that humanness of looking at maybe all three parties, you as the founder, as the leader, your clients, and the people who work for you and with you and looking at everyone as a human and connecting to everyone's humanness. I know that came up really strongly for me in what you were saying. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, you know that my my like, you know, alleged schooling is is, you know, my training was as an anthropologist. And so I have a deep love of people and studying people and studying culture and and, you know, how like our upbringings and our identities and and the places we come from and and the communities we're connected to forge who we are as people and the ways we then show up in the world. And my business came out of a really kind of interesting problem that I saw and experienced, which was that I had friends who were starting companies who didn't see anyone who understood them, who could help them with things like branding and marketing and launching a website and building a business strategy. And, you know, my friends came from the communities that I was connected to and cared about. They were women. They were queer people. They were women of color. They were, you know, people who would walk into a bank and get laughed out of there because they didn't look like the person who should be asking for a business loan. And so what I recognized was there's this huge market that is my people that needs to be served. And not only that, but we can create a space where they are so at home and I can then find the creatives who like desperately want to be working with people like this and bring them to the forefront. So like, for example, like a huge portion of my team is queer or trans or BIPOC. And for them to like not have to just be in some agency mode where they have to like code switch and pretend and like put on their copywriter hat and like write content. Like for example, I was in a brainstorm session with one of my team members yesterday and we were both talking about how, you know, this blog content we want to do, you know, we really want to push back on the notion that brands create, you know, queer centric content just in June. That's a very common thing in the marketing world because it's Pride Month and it's like, that's the one month people get to be gay. And it's like, Jamie and I were joking, like, we're queer all year long. (laughs) So let's create content around that. Let's reach out to founders who want to be featured in that. And for someone like her, who, you know, previously was in a different agency environment where she wasn't allowed to really fully embody that identity, even if it was kind of an unspoken thing, you know, to be able to not only fully bring that to the table in every client conversation, but then to get to create content that is an expression of who she is. Yeah. Like that is her best yeah. work. Yeah. And then yeah. for our clients, like they get so excited about it too, because who better to write an article about something to do with the queer community than a queer person? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful example. And so this is so antithetical, completely the opposite to this idea of a hustle culture, like in this whole girl boss nonsense that goes on, right? You know, how how do you think that has then sort of limited the perception of what entrepreneurship is and limited it in some way, right? Because there's this girl boss myth and hype that goes on. We're talking about is completely the opposite. It's like how do those, mm-hmm. you know, I don't I don't know. I don't even know the question I'm asking, but like that's bringing that no, up but, for me. But- <laughs> I I can go there with you because we have so many of these conversations on the sidelines, right? And and and. Where I have landed with this is I actually think that girl boss is is a product of the patriarchy and that it is that it is like a version of business that's branded in pink that was sold to us to keep us hustling and keep us disconnected from our humanity and keep us working hard, even if we're working for ourselves, because at that point, you're just so burned out and the bar keeps raising and the bar keeps raising that you can't actually 
have enough energy or capacity to like step back and say like, is this a system I even want to be a part of? Oh, by the way, I actually want to dismantle it, but I don't have any capacity to do so. And what I think is really, you know, really, I, you know, so I started my business like at the height of that girl boss era. And, you know, do see it as a means to an end. There were a lot of women founders who started their businesses in that season because of the fact that there was other women doing it. And I do think there is a a deep importance of just having a model, having a woman that went before you who's like, "I, I built a business so you can too. If it wasn't for those women, probably wouldn't have believed it was possible. But the things that that are stated of of value and of purpose and of meaning by those people, at least in terms of what I see on social media, is not the shit that I value. Like my goal is not to fucking have a private plane. My goal is not to have Bentley and a Birkin bag. Like I, I'm sorry. Like I care a lot about the planet. And like if we all had private jets, like we would be even more fucked than we are now. <laughs> like, like you know, versus like my goal like is to be able to make enough that I can not only care for my family, but I can care for my community and the causes that matter to me. You know, my goal is to buy like a very nice eco-friendly car. (laughs) You know, my goal is to be able to, you know, if and when I do make a purchase, it's from a sustainable brand that is owned by somebody that I feel deeply connected to the values and the mission of that company and that it's trying to make the world a better place. And so I think that like, this notion that like, you know, to be a woman in business is to just like value these really like superficial things and to, um, to, you know, only want to be wearing a pink pantsuit all the time. Like that's not the vibe in my opinion. Now that's not to say like that can't be your vibe, but I also just wish and hope that more women would look inward and say like, is that really who I am? Or is this just kind of this model that's being fed to me? And then therefore I have to jump those hoops, hustle that hard, you know, wear that outfit, you know, post that pic so that I seem like I'm a part of this culture. Yeah. And all of those points, but I want to go back to something you started with in this, the answer that you just gave, or, you know, what you just discussed is this idea of that, this whole girl boss hustle, you know, hustle culture myth has been created by the patriarchy. And I so agree And I'm going to take it one step further. I think it's also to distract us from the fact that all of those men, those white men are using their old boy networks. There's their, their, you know, those networks to get where they're going and to distract us from the fact that we can actually also do that. But if they keep us in this, on this hamster wheel of thinking we have to hustle all the time, right? then we're not actually tapping into those networks. And so the reason I'm saying this is because I think that I very quickly, probably back in 2020, when I, when I got featured on Goop, Goop and Health, it was amazing. It was a wonderful platform for me to, to be featured on. It helped widen my reach and my impact. And it also taught me how much of this in the wellness world is all networks. I saw it so clearly for the first time. I had no clue. First of all, coming from a medical background, not knowing anything about anything like in business like this, I had no idea what I was doing. I still probably don't (laughs) to a certain extent. Um, And also being South Asian and first generation, I had no idea. And being a woman, I had no clue that this was how the world worked. 
I really just didn't understand it. And it became so clear to me. And it was at that point, this was in 2020, August of 2020, like right after I was featured on that, I quickly realized what was really going on. And that No, it's not about hustling more and writing more and posting more and doing all this shit all the time. It's actually getting into those networks of the people who are saying your name in the rooms that matter. That's what it comes down to, right? And so I feel like so much of this hustle culture nonsense is to keep us distracted from doing the things that help us work smarter and not harder, you know? Mm -hmm. There's also, let's be clear, there's there's an undercurrent in the hustle culture girl boss world that is kind of catty. It's it's like it's very like high school, junior high. And and it's also got this like little bit of a competitive edge to it. And what I find in the women that that break free of that paradigm is we are finding don't even like the word success anymore because I think it's like such bullshit, but we are finding like meaning and connection and like truly sustainable business growth so much faster because it's it's as simple as this. It's like I had three different phone calls with women yesterday. All of them are in different but adjacent industries than me. All of us walked away with a new connection that could benefit our business with a collaborative opportunity that we're going to like, she's coming on my podcast. I'm going to go on hers. She's going to be featured in my newsletter. She's got this course coming up. It's perfect for my audience. It's going in my newsletter. Like we walked away with the opportunity and we walked away with true connection and camaraderie because we're operating from this place that isn't about like, I got to get mine. Like we're operating from this place of like, oh my God, look at what you're building. This is beautiful. Hey, this is what I'm up to. Would you want to work with me? That is a totally different vibe. And that is what I believe business needs. And I will say, this is not, you know, you know, I know I'm like a big, big person in terms of like gender is this massive spectrum, but it's not a binary, like male, female thing. What is interesting to me, especially as I put out more content that talks about human-centric business, that it talks about unearthing the patriarchy in the way that you're working, I have had a lot of men, both quietly behind the scenes and starting more in my LinkedIn comments, which is very interesting, say like, I don't want to work this way either. Like, I'm really sick of this. I want to slow down. I want to be intentional. I want to build good work. I want to be focused on collaboration over competition. I want to... You know, these men are like showing up in these spaces that I've cultivated community groups, webinars, workshops, things like that. And it's usually just like one or two at a time. But, you know, these are not queer men. They're a lot of them are cis men who are just like, I can't sustain. I don't want to be a part of this culture. I didn't choose it. And so to just open the door and say, hey, there's another way we could be doing business. There's actually a lot of people waiting on the other side who want to be a part of that yeah, world. Yeah. Now I think that that's so true. And again, it comes back to that humanness, right? We're all humans at the end of the day. Like I find it so funny. Sometimes we just like don't even think about the word that like we are human beings. We have humanness in us. It's just how much has it been sort of pushed down and buried beneath a lot of other shit and crap, right? It's like, all of us at the end of the day, we just want more of that humanness, that connection, that that purpose, that drive. Like that's all, it's at different degrees for us and from different perspectives, but we all have it. It's something we all share as human beings. And so I'm not surprised at all that these cis men are coming in and saying, yeah, I agree. I want that too, right? 
it's really, really profound what you're saying, because it's such an indicator of where people are sort of moving to and what, how they're thinking about their work. Right. And I do think a lot of this, you know, the reason this topic came up of, you know, this intention of work and our health is because over the past few years, especially since the pandemic, right, this has become such a major topic of, you know, how does work and health intersect? How do they influence each other? How do they sort of align, misalign, balance each other, right? And so it's so interesting that more and more people, I feel like as we get a little farther away from 2020, It's not that the conversation is going away, it's changing. And that people are more willing to now say, I don't want to do things the way I was. I don't even want to do things the way I was doing a year ago. Like this is not sustainable. I feel like I have had more of those conversations. I have people asking me more questions about this and, and asking like, what do I do? How do I do this? Right? So I think, I don't even know if I'm making sense right now. I'm, I'm just thinking no, out loud you, as we're talking. You totally, you totally are. And I'm Ayurvedic thread that I want to pull here is I think that, you know, work has such an ability to impact our health for better or for worse. But I can imagine that when people come to you, you know, and, and are wanting your guidance and wanting your, you know, your consultation, like a few years ago, you know, that was seen as a fixed element that couldn't be changed, right? Like we could change the way we were eating and we could change the way we were resting and we could change, you know, these are the things we felt like we had control over. And I think that between the layoffs that have happened this last year, between the pandemic and, you know, workers kind of getting a different level of power in terms of working remotely and being able to be more present for their families and like, you know, taking like a freaking leave or something like that. And like, also like people starting to work in more global ways and people becoming digital nomads and all this stuff, this, this, this veneer or this myth that, you know, work had to work this way is totally cracking because one, like we can see like, yeah, I have a friend who lives in Portugal and works like 20 hours a week and she does just fine for herself. I can see, you know, my friend who, you know, started his own tech company and is doing it this way. And I can, I can see all these other models of work. And so this mythology that like to to work means that we go to an office, we show up for 40 to 70 hours a week, we grind until we you know, hit some mythical retirement age, like that's a total farce these days in our economy. Like my generation knows that we're going to be working a lot longer. And so we're not going to do it in a way that's going to be the death of us. And so I just think that what's happening in our culture is that people are finally recognizing that work is this thing that impacts them. And it is this thing that we have the ability to control. And the data shows this. We are seeing a massive uptick in solopreneurship, entrepreneurship, you know, side hustling. Some of this, again, is just an economic factor because one job doesn't help people pay the bills anymore. But some of it is this recognition that like this could be a path to liberation and these systems that I'm inside of don't actually serve me. Like that was my story. And that's the story of so many other women that I talked to is that entrepreneurship is sort of a chosen path, but it's also because we were inside of work environments that wouldn't accommodate for us appropriately when we had children. And we're like, I'm super smart. I'm making this company millions of dollars. I can probably figure out to how to make myself at least a couple hundred thousand. Let me go try this and see if it works out. If all else fails, I'll come back and my kid will be a little bit older and you know, hopefully we'll be in school. And so I won't have to spend a bajillion dollars on childcare anymore. 
But like that desire for freedom and the ability to live is pushing people to say like, what are the other ways that I could work? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like people are really, really reckoning with this idea of, am I working to live or am I living to work? Right. It's like the age old question of like, why am I doing this? And like, if I have only so many years on this planet, how much am I going to put into just going after the next shiny object, whether it's success or a thing, or, you know, is it part of my dharma? Is it not? Like there's so many questions wrapped up in all of this, right? But it's really, it kind of comes down to, am I working to live or am I living to work? You know, and if I'm working to live, then I need to have it be balanced, right? If I'm not going to just live to work all the time, which is sort of the old model, right? Then I need to figure out how is this going to be integrated into my life? And like you said, you know, in Ayurveda, we say that toxins come from every aspect of life. Health and illness come from every aspect of life because all of life affects your health, including the work that you do, including how you do your work, including what you pursue as your work, right? Those are all, including the people that you work with. Those are relationships, right? All of the things you've talked about influence how your work affects your health at the end of the day. And so that leads me to like the next question for you is how have you seen that this sort of new model, I know it's kind of new for you, but really for yourself even, but how have you seen this new model of sort of this human centric approach has affected your health, has affected the health of your employees, of the people that work with you? Mm, That's such a great question. So, so many ways. You know, for me, again, you know, I feel like I've, I've done this like five year detox from my experience as like a, a global leader in technology. And, and, you know, I had to rewire myself, be like, you know, okay, like work is not everything. And also I had to meet myself and say, but I am a person who loves to work and I love to work hard. And so if I'm going to be that way, I better fucking love what I do. I better have it fill me up and it better be regenerative in nature. It better, the energy for the work must be in the work. And so the things that have shifted is like my client base now compared to what it was 18 months ago, completely different. We have one tech client these days and she is a dear friend of mine and I've had the privilege to work with her for over three years. But besides that, you know, I'm very choosy about the people who come in the door because I recognize the energetics of the people that I work with, because I go so deep with my clients and their brands, it's, you know, whatever their karma, whatever the thing is that they're bringing to the table, like that is going to have an impact on me. It's going to have an impact on my team. And you know, examples of this, of like really amazing brands we've built that I'm like, could not pay me any more money to work with that person. They are awful and it affected my well-being. So that was the first big shift is like, it's really changed who we work with, because if we're going to be in close proximity, we want to work with people that we love and that that we had, can build deep relationships with who respect us. The other thing that has shifted so dramatically is our our ability to to have humanity in the ways we work. So for example, like I don't have a client these days who if 
Alder, my littlest son, is home and is like parading around in the background of Zoom, like dancing and waving at you, which you know he loves to do, <laughs> like who wouldn't smile and laugh and be like, hi, Alder, right. you know, because yeah. because you know who I am and you know that a mother is core to who I am. I don't have clients that if I write them, you know, the morning of a big meeting and say, hey, I'm sick or my kid's sick or this thing happened. The only message I'm going to get back is take care of yourself. We'll reschedule. And that in itself, what that does for your nervous system to work with people who understand and respect that you're so much more than just somebody who puts out work product is huge. And then for my team, they experience those same benefits. And then the more that I as a leader am able to show up in that way, like last week, I had a really rough week mentally. I took a mental health day. You know, that's something that two, three years ago, I never would have done. I would have kept pushing. I would have kept grinding. But there's nothing in my portfolio these days that has to happen. That's a myth. And so if I want to do good work, if I want to create good work, I have to be healthy and well in myself. And on that day, I wasn't. And so one, I get to model that behavior. But then my team knows that they can turn around and say like, dealing with a hard personal thing right now. I'm grieving something. I'm ill. You know, my kids are ill. And we have this mutual understanding and reciprocity and respect. And it allows for the work to be more fluid too, which I think is the biggest thing for me, again, as like a recovering people pleaser and perfectionist and somebody who operates at a really high caliber to have this more sense of flow in the way we work and to have clients who say things like, it's not about how fast we can get it done. It's about the quality of the work. You know, I'm happy to push that deadline so that it can be better. You know, actually, I need more time and space to work on my piece of the puzzle. You know, can I have another couple of weeks? It's like you, you know, you were like, I want to stay in London a little bit longer. And I'm like, great, we'll meet with you next week because we're giving is the space for us to live. And the biggest lesson that I've learned over the past couple of years is that to be a creative who creates for a living, who makes their money off of creating, you have to have a life outside of that that inputs creative energy back into you. And if you don't have time for that, your creative well is going to just run completely dry. And so it's like for me, you know, I feel that well from travel. I feel that well from going to art and dance and, you know, music and eating good food and I have to hold space for all those things. And when I do that, the people around me get to do that too. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think what I was thinking of is that, you know, you can't just exhale all the time or always inhale. You have to do both, right? And so if you're constantly exhaling and putting out that creative energy into the world without inhaling, it, at some point, it's not going to work anymore, right? I mean, when you're actually breathing, it doesn't work really quickly, but you can sustain it much longer in this metaphor, right? But it's the same idea, right? You have to have both sides to really have that balance where you are constantly creating and being able to put out this beautiful work and like you said, live at the same time. You know, I think that that is such an important piece of this. And maybe if that's the one thing that everyone hears from this episode from this conversation we're having is that the balance comes from you demanding it and asking for it and also from you being willing to do what you need to do to create that balance, you know, and it can take some time. And again, like I always say, I'm not saying that, you know, blow up your life and quit your, quit your job and leave your partner and, you know, all these things. But the point is, is that you can take small steps in this direction if this is where you feel like you need to go for your life and for your health and your wellness, right? Um, 
So let's look to the future. You know, what do you foresee as sort of the intersection of how work or entrepreneurship and health are going to all kind of come together, like in the next couple of years? Like this is sort of the direction you've decided to go in. We both talked about how we're hearing this more from, you know, students and clients and people we're talking to, our friends, you know, people we work with, like we've talked about this. Where do you see this going? So it's going to be a very interesting full circle answer because although I have a lot of qualms with the world of technology, I think that we are on the cusp of some changes in the technology space that actually will make living a lot more possible. I am very interested and curious about the world of AI and I have a lot of trepidation there as well. I do think it's something we have to approach with real level of consciousness. However, even in our own work in the last couple of years, we've been able to utilize new forms of technology to automate much more of the work we do so that we can spend the time less on execution and more on strategy, relationship building, and deep like soul level work, in my opinion. And my, you know, what I've been able to create and the capacity that I have now because of that is is much bigger. And so what my hope is is that we as humans you know, find this way to use some of these new tools to create capacity in our lives and that we're wise enough to not just fill that up with more work, that we're wise enough to be able to say, okay, now that I do have an extra hour a day, I'm going to do my meditation practice. I'm going to do my daily yoga and Pilates. I'm going to follow the wisdom of Dr. Avanti and, and do my morning ritual that is so essential to me being well and to showing up to my work well every day. And I also hope that in finding that space, we also recognize how essential it is to step away from all of it. Because for me, the thing that I'm still really working on and working towards in the next couple of years is a world that is not as digital is a world where you know I continue to write by hand, is a world where I sit with my clients in person, is a world where I you know leave my laptop behind you know when I go away for a weekend and I don't feel this strong pull to constantly be connected. And this is something I've been playing a lot with because as you know, I maintain a strong social media presence, but I've also put really big boundaries on myself that I don't ever post just because I'm supposed to. I post because I want to. I post because I feel called to. And so this is the dynamic that I feel like this generation of entrepreneurs is really going to have to dance with is, you know, yes, we have all this technology. Yes, we have all these digital abilities. Yes, we could grow in infinite, you know, capacities. And also, how do we return to the earth? How do we take this time to get outside? How do we take this time to go inward? And how do we recognize that like growing in a limitless way is not healthy? The only thing that does that is cancer. <laughs> no one wants to live a life in that same rhythm. We want to live in harmony. I want to live with the seasons. I want to slow down. I want to grow a garden. And my hope is that I can continue to build my company and, and model that example for others because I work with so many founders. And, and my hope is that whether it's one person or a hundred people, you know, that by showing an example of, yes, we can build this big digital business so that we can slow down and live in a really small and connected way in our community. That's the world I'm hoping to be a part yeah. of in the future. Yeah. And I think that, you know, so much of what you said, 
think it's so important. And I, I'm going to make sure that I go back and listen to what you just said. I hope everybody who's listening is going to go back to listen to the last couple of minutes of what Madeline just said, because I think you've taught me a lot about that too, is learning to automate things so that I have more time for my life, but also I'm taking back time. I'm not just adding more stuff onto my plate, right? So I think that that is a huge, huge lesson. And, and so I sort of the last question I have for you is, you know, we have a lot of people listening who are probably aspiring entrepreneurs. What advice would you give them if they really want to start moving in this direction of implementing a human-centric approach in their work life, whether it's working for someone else or if they're an entrepreneur, you know, what would you say to them as some steps, maybe things that you did to sort of start down that path? Hmm. This is like my always answer is to start with your values. You know, it is the most essential guiding tool and principle that we have. And, you know, even if we don't own our own company that has a set of core values, we have values as human individuals. And there's there's worksheets and card sort activities and all sorts of things where if you're not like 100% sure what your values are, there's there's ways out there to figure that out. Google will teach you. Um, But for me, you know, especially in business, I call my values, my business blinders, you know, basically it's the monopoly moment. If it doesn't pass my values, it doesn't pass go. But what led to all the shifts that I have created in my life is a reconnection to, to my values and a really deep understanding that if I continued to live in a way that was out of alignment with them, again, I wouldn't last. And so for me, you know, when things really shifted this past year was I went inward. I took a deep season to cocoon. I stopped showing up externally and I spent time, you know, putting myself through my own process of, you know, a core part of my brand strategy process is revisiting values. And in doing that work, everything became clear. Every decision I needed to make, every person I needed to let go, every, you know, email I needed to send, strategy I needed to shift, changes I need to make to my schedule, the answer was all there because I have a rubric in my values that help me define how I move forward. And and even if you don't own your own company, even if you're just working for somebody else, we all know what that feels like to be living outside of the lines of our values. And so it first starts with really getting clear with what those things are and then using them as a way to pull yourself back and into alignment. That feels like a good place for us to end our time together. I feel like we could just keep talking because there's so much more here, but I know we're out of time. So I just have one last question for you. If I offer up the phrase to catalyze healing, what comes up for you? A beautiful one. To catalyze healing is to know oneself. I think that one of the things that I didn't expect or understand when I started to walk the path of entrepreneurship was that it was the ultimate opportunity to go within. And, you know, true healing starts with seeing and accepting the whole of who you are and embracing that flaws, you know, fuck ups and all. And I, have been on a healing journey for a long time. And the deeper I go, the more that I'm able to love myself. And I don't think that we can truly heal until we're able to love ourselves more than anyone else externally could. Maddie, thank you. 
Thank you for your vulnerability, for your honesty, and for sharing so many pearls of wisdom with my listening community. I really appreciate you. Thank you. I love you deeply, and I'm so grateful for this time. I love you too. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to The Healing Catalyst. If you love what you heard, please hit follow and pass it along to a friend. And if you're feeling really inspired, please rate and review so that others can find this podcast more easily. To learn more, head to avantikumarsingh.com. And to connect with me directly, find me on Instagram at avantikumarsingh. I'll be back next week and hope that you will be too. Until then, remember, with the right catalyst, you have the power to activate your own healing because healing starts within.